a burglar in the neighborhood was watching as a family loaded their suitcases in their car and departed. He waited until dark and then approached the front door and rang the bell. There was no answer. So the burglar picked the lock and let himself in. Roaming quietly in the dark through the living room, he used his dimly lit flashlight looking for valuables. And when he picked up an item to place in his bag, a strange voice echoed from the dark, saying, Jesus is coming. He nearly jumped out of his skin, clicked off his flashlight, and froze. When he heard nothing else, he shook his head, promised he'd have a vacation after this, then clicked the flashlight back on and began searching for more valuables. Just as he pulled the stereo system out so he could disconnect the wires, clear as a bell, he heard, Jesus is coming. Totally rattled, he shone his light around frantically, looking for the source of the voice. Finally, in the corner of the living room, his flashlight beam came to rest on a caged parrot. Did you say that, he asked the parrot. Yes, the parrot confessed, then squawked, I'm just trying to warn you. The burglar relaxed and said, warn me? (laughs) Who do you think you are anyway? Moses, replied the parrot. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people would name a parrot Moses? The parrot answered, the same kind of people that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. Takes a while. Just let it it sink in. Well, the Jesus we know, the Jesus we know is coming. He's coming again. He's come before. And when Jesus came before, He came to a people who were in the dark. To a people in the shadows, so to speak. And He came to shine a bright light upon them. If you recall from last week, tell me you recall last week. Okay, thank you. Makes me feel better about myself. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was 
tantalized by Satan with finely tuned and tailor-made temptations just for him. Jesus was tempted to sin just like us. And without using his divine powers in humility as a mere man, he was victorious over Satan. Sinless. Sinless. Proving that he and he alone was qualified to fulfill the work that his father had given him to do. The work of providing salvation to a lost people in the dark. Last week, we finished with Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Okay? Where Jesus told Satan, go. Remember that? Go. And afterwards, the angels came and ministered to him. Now we come to verse 12. Okay? Verse 12. And before we go there, that's fine. You can leave it right there. I need to explain something, okay? Although we are not told by Matthew, and you would not realize it by looking at it, there seems to be a gap in time between those two verses, between verse 11 and verse 12. As much as a 12-month gap in time. A year. A year gap in time, and that means that many of the things which occurred during the early part of the Lord's ministry were not recorded in Matthew's Gospel. For example, just for example, Matthew passes over the wedding in Cana. You remember that? Where Jesus turned water into wine. He does not mention the first time that Jesus drove out the money changers from the temple. And he does not tell us about the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus at night. Nick at night. Over the fact that you must be born again. Matthew also passes over the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. You guys know that story. Matthew passes over that. 
All these things I just mentioned happened during the early part of the Lord's ministry. John recorded all these things. That's how we know them. John recorded them, but they were not included by Matthew. And I think there is a good reason for it, and I will explain it in a moment. Okay. So, with that said, being mindful of this gap in time, we can pick up where we left off, beginning with verse 12. Where Matthew tells us, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. In this passage, we are told that Jesus learns of the arrest of John the Baptist. And later, Matthew will explain that Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, so Herod Antipas is now the ruler of Galilee, He had taken the wife of his brother, Philip. You remember this? He took the wife of his brother, Philip. And John unloaded on Herod, telling him that what he did was totally immoral. Well, John gets tossed into prison. But more importantly... This marked the end of his ministry and the beginning of a new phase in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are told that Jesus departs the region of Judea. He leaves Nazareth, his hometown, because of their unbelief. That's why he leaves. And he settles in Capernaum. And there's, we have a map. He settles in Capernaum, which is at the top to the north, uh, your side, northwest side. Okay? It's a bustling city along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus will spend most of his time. It becomes his his home base, if you will. And it just so happens to be the stomping grounds of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And it's also the place where Jesus will later find Matthew. You see, uh, excuse me, Capernaum was on a major international 
trade route that ran all the way from Egypt in the south through Syria and on to Mesopotamia way in the north. A lot of people and a lot of money passed through Capernaum. And it was an ideal place for a tax collector. If you remember, Matthew collected taxes for Rome. And when Jesus comes into the area, Matthew, who seems to know who comes and goes, it's his business to know your business. It's part of his job. He learns about Jesus. And maybe he has the opportunity to hear Jesus teach and preach. And I think this is why Matthew begins here with the Lord's ministry. It's here in Capernaum that Matthew first learns about Jesus. Is later introduced to him, and it's from Capernaum that he will eventually follow Jesus. Now, as we continue with verse 14, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament, and he writes, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death Upon them a light dawned. Matthew quotes this passage from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And this says something else about Matthew. Even though Matthew is a hated tax collector, a Jew considered a traitor by his own people, the scum of the earth, it would appear this boy knows Old Testament Scripture. Because he quotes Scripture more than any other gospel writer. It's Matthew. More than any other gospel writer, Matthew quotes Old Testament Scripture. And also remember that Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews. To the Jews. For years... He has taken from his people. 
for years he has taken from his people and now he is giving them something back. The truth. So using this passage from Isaiah, Matthew seems to be connecting the dots, so to speak, and sees the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. Another proof that He is the King and the Messiah. And let me explain with this passage. In the north, in the north, far from the center of religious power and influence in Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the outcasts in Zebulun and Naphtali. The region called Galilee of the Gentiles. Because Gentiles were always passing through there. Settling there. And the general population were a people of mixed races. Who were despised. By the Jews. But as the Messiah, according to this prophecy, Jesus goes to these people. He goes to these people, to a people sitting in the dark, to a people in the shadow of death. To shine a light upon them so that they might hear and respond. The cool Jews, the cool Jews went to Jerusalem. But Jesus went up north to where the losers were. up north to where the losers were, and he picks right up to where John the Baptist left off. In verse 17 we hear, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus preaches the same message as John the Baptist. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is closer than you could ever imagine. John preached about the coming king. But Jesus is the King. And like John, Jesus says to those who would hear, repent. The people had been thinking wrongly about God, thinking wrongly about themselves, 
thinking wrongly about righteousness, thinking wrongly about God's will, thinking wrongly about sin, and the kind of repentance being commanded here by Jesus involved a change of thinking, a change of mind, for when the mind is changed, a change of life will follow. Repent, he's saying. Change your mind. Change your life. For the king is in your midst. And speaking of change, speaking of change, beginning with verse 18, Matthew tells us about the calling of the first few men to follow Jesus. He says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If this was all you knew, if this was all you knew, what would you think? This is crazy. This is crazy. A complete stranger comes up and says, follow me. And so Peter and Andrew just stop working and leave everything. And then the brothers, James and John, leave dad in the boat with the hired hands. Who does that? Who really does that? At first glance, it sounds like Jesus was a stranger to these guys at first glance. But that was not the case. That was not the case. In John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, maybe a year earlier, we are told that Andrew and most likely John were disciples of the grasshopper-eating prophet named John the Baptist, who encouraged them to follow Jesus. Then later, Andrew introduced his brother 
Peter to Jesus. Presumably, John told his brother James. And also, Philip and Nathaniel were included in the mix. Just following Jesus around here and there, spending time with him and getting to know him. So they already knew Jesus to some degree. To some degree. They had followed him. They had come to trust him. But eventually, eventually, they returned back to their livelihood of fishing. They did this on occasion. In fact, if you recall, after Jesus was resurrected, after he was resurrected, they returned back to their livelihood of fishing. So Jesus shows up. He seems to be by himself here. And we are told that he sees Peter and Andrew casting a net into the water. And I picture one of those small, weighted, circular nets that a person throws into the water and it has a drawstring and you pull it back. That's what I'm, that's what I'm picturing. Anyway, Jesus, who is preaching throughout Galilee, says to Peter and Andrew, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, they had been following Jesus, like I said, already, at least part-time, but this invitation was something different. This is different. Guys, if you follow me, if you follow me, I'm going to be changing you in many ways. At the moment, you are catching fish. But I will cause you to catch men. This was a a progressive call. A progressive call. Not just following him around off and on like they had, but a call to a greater commitment. A call for change. A call to really follow him and to fish. Just like Jesus does. To fish for men. There is a story about a man who was a phenomenal fisherman. He was so good that his fame spread far and wide. When everyone else was catching two or three fish a day, he would come back with two to three hundred. Eventually, 
the local game warden decided to investigate because it sounded too good to be true. On a certain day, the game warden showed up at the man's door, identified himself, and asked to go fishing with him. The man was agreeable to that, and off they went to the lake. When they got into the boat, immediately the warden noticed that something didn't seem right. The man didn't have any poles or bait. He didn't even have a tackle box. All he had was a small duffel bag. So off they went. Chatting about this and that until the man maneuvered the boat to the middle of the lake. Without a word, he turned off the motor, reached into the duffel bag, and pulled out what looked like a stick of dynamite. Before the game warden could say anything, he lit it and threw it into the water. It exploded with a mighty roar and stunned fish by the dozens who floated to the surface. The man calmly started his boat and began gathering the fish in the net. The warden said, now see here, that's highly illegal. But the man just laughed and steered the boat to another part of the lake. He did the same thing with a second stick of dynamite. And sure enough, more fish floated to the surface. By this time, the warden was beside himself. He had seen enough. He said, Mister, you've broken so many laws, I can't even begin to count them. The man just laughed and pulled out another stick of dynamite. The warden kept talking. This is an illegal possession of dynamite and an illegal detonation of dangerous material and disturbing of the peace and about a dozen other misdemeanors and felonies. While the warden was talking, the man calmly lit the stick of dynamite and handed it to the game warden. As he did, he asked him the question fishermen always asked, Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? (laughs) There's a point in this that I want to make. When it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to sharing our faith, we do a lot of talking about it but not enough fishing. Am I right? We do a lot of talking about it, but not enough fishing. Are you going to talk, or are you going to fish? So Peter and Andrew follow Jesus. 
And as they walk a little further along the shore, Jesus sees their business partners. Two others, two other brothers, named James and John. They are in a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus called to them. They too, they too knew Jesus. In the past they had listened to Him. As time permitted, they had followed Him. And here, just as it was for Peter and Andrew, there is a calling that involved change and a greater commitment. Off they all go with Jesus leading the way. And that brings us to verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, And he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In this passage, Jesus and his disciples are making their way through a circuit of cities. A circuit that covers about a hundred mile radius. Meaning, as news spread about Jesus, simply by word of mouth, that's important to know, simply by word of mouth, people are literally walking hundreds of miles to see him. We're told that Jesus was teaching and preaching. That was his primary ministry, teaching and preaching. Here's Jesus walking into the lives of thousands of people who were in the dark. People in the shadow of death. People with all manner of issues and problems. Thousands. Thousands of people from all over the place. Thousands. Who were nothing like Jesus. And still, they wanted to be around Him. 
That's amazing to me. People who were nothing like Jesus and still they wanted to be around him. And more importantly, Jesus wanted to be around people who were nothing like him. They were flocking to him by the thousands. By word of mouth, that's all. Word of mouth. From far and wide, people were hearing about Jesus and they are coming from all over the place to see Him and to hear Him speak and in some cases to be healed by Him. Can you picture that? You got Jews rubbing shoulders with Gentiles in the presence of Jesus. You got the clean and the unclean in the same space. All these people in the darkness, in the same shadows, are seeing this one great light. He is teaching and preaching and healing, making known that the kingdom of heaven is present because the king is much closer than they might think. In fact, he is in their midst. And I can't even imagine what the disciples were experiencing. They were once just like everyone else. Just people in the crowd. But now they are following Jesus. No longer in the audience, but now somehow participants. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Did you catch that? Jesus said, I will make you. You hear that? I will make you. That's what He does. That's His part. Our part is to simply follow. Follow Him wherever He leads. Even in the dark. A young woman met with her pastor and she said, I can't stick it out any longer. 
I'm the only Christian in the place where I work. I get nothing but jokes, harassment, and sneers. It's more than I can stand. I'm going to quit. The pastor, in reply, asked her, Will you tell me where lights are placed? What has that to do with anything? The young Christian asked. Never mind that, the pastor said. Just answer my question. Where are lights placed? I suppose in dark places, she answered. Yes, you are right. And that's why you have been put in that place where there is such spiritual darkness and there are no other Christians to shine for the Lord. The young Christian realized for the first time the opportunity that was given to her and she went back to her workplace with a renewed determination to let the light of Jesus Christ shine through her in that dark place. Jesus said, follow me. Even in the dark. It was an invitation to his disciples. And it's an invitation to us as well. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. And I'll be honest, the more and more I think about it, the sillier I seem. All you are asking is that we follow your son, Jesus. Just follow him. That's our part. And his part is to change us and to grow us and to mature us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. Thank you for this simple, simple invitation to follow him, even in the dark. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for including us in your ministry to a lost and dying world. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Aren't you glad... That Jesus goes to the dark places? Before I became a Christian, 
my heart was a dark place. I was living in the shadow of death. I was living in a dark place. I didn't find him. He found me. I didn't come to him. He came to me. He went to the dark place. Right? Thank, thank God for that. Just thank God. He found me in a dark place. And for those of you who know Jesus Christ, I can say the same to you. He found you in a dark place. He was willing to go there. He was willing to go there. I do not know why I'm, I'm getting a little emotional right here. This does not happen often. I do not know why. But I'm getting a strong sense that there is someone here in a dark, dark place. And Jesus says to you, I am the way. I'm the way that you must follow. Follow me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm the truth. And I'm the light. I'm the light. Maybe you're here this morning. It's like, Jesus, I just need you to be the light in my life. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Give me a chance to be a fisher of men. To follow him. The only reason your pastor is a fisher of men is because he made me so. He did that. Not me. Trust me. Trust me. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This is the place you want to call. You want to just set some roots in here. This is the place you want to call home. Let me know that. Whether this morning or in the kitchen, just let me know. We can talk about it. Or maybe you just need some prayer. I don't have all the answers. I know who the answer is. I can point you to them. That I can do. However the Lord moves you this morning, I just ask that you respond to Him. Just respond to Him. If not here, I'll be here this morning.
We can talk somewhere else. But just respond to him. He loves you more than you could ever know. Larry.